Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I don't know about you, but with everything going on in our world today, with everything going on in our lives at home and at work, and I just, I feel like I'm in a pressure cooker in my life right now. I feel like literally I'm in the, in the vice grip and every day, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I feel like it just gets tightened one notch. And and I've, I've been in this spot for the last season where I feel, I feel so uncomfortable and I feel so out of sorts internally. And, I, and I've, been, I've been clinging and grasping and asking God, how do I bring equilibrium to what I'm experiencing? It feels like the weight and the pressure of the world is going to crush me. But somehow I make it through each day. And, and in this season, Jesus has been bringing me back to himself and how he walked and how he carried himself. And I was thinking about this story that we read, and I just want to walk through it a little bit. And even before we do that, I, I just want to, because this is part of the whole equation, I really feel like in this next season of our lives, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, But in this next season, I really believe God is asking us to learn how to pray and approach him again in a new way, how to understand, like we sang today, who you are in Christ and actually how to walk in the fullness of the authority that he's given you. And so even when I pray, like when I pray before I'm speaking, that's not, I'm not praying for your benefit. I'm not even praying for my benefit. I'm actually praying to declare things in the spiritual realm and set a standard and a precedent and guardrails on what can and can't happen. Often, I feel like we've shortchanged you a little bit in the church and we say, well, prayer is just talking to God. And while that may be true, and it is true, prayer is much more than just talking to God. It's not having tea with Jesus on Saturday afternoon, although I'm sure he would be fine with that if we extend the invitation. Prayer is actually entering into the spiritual realm and declaring what's true, what God has said, what he's declared, how we respond to it, and what we declare as an assertion of that truth over whatever is taking place around us. And so Jesus lived this life where on one sense, in, in one way, he, he approached the spiritual realm like a lion and he lived in strength and he would walk not being battered by the waves of what was happening around him, but actually recognizing we live in a fundamentally spiritual world. I'm guessing that the spiritual realm makes up more of God's kingdom and universe than the physical one does. You and I are not just walking as flesh and bones on earth. We're walking in the midst of these two kingdoms. And Jesus approached this one kingdom with the ferocity of a lion. And it wasn't just, I'm going to pray, Jesus, and I'm going to ask you about things, and I'm going to hope that you help me, and oh Lord, would you help my kids, and would you help me do this, and I don't feel like I can do this. No. 
you actually have the authority, and we're going to learn about this, to stand up and speak to the unseen realm and declare the truth and the purposes of the kingdom of God over your life, over your home, over your environment, over this environment. And so when we pray, it's not just a a gap filler. It's a declaration of our intent to humble ourselves and submit to the Lordship of Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to bring us counsel and make us aware of what might be going on, what assignments of the enemy might be taking place, what influences of the enemy might be around, and then assert and declare the truth of Jesus over those. And this is how Jesus walked and lived. And I was thinking about this story and, and Jesus, in the, this is at the very beginning of his ministry. And at the very beginning of his ministry, he didn't kind of ease into things. And it, this wasn't like, you know, John's out and they're coloring pictures of him and, and the dove of the Holy Spirit and things like that. This is not how Jesus started and launched his ministry. If you go back to chapter 2 of Mark. Let's just go back to the top. We're just going to talk through a few of these things. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Capernaum was the home base of Jesus's ministry. And Capernaum, it wasn't this backwater town that was, uh, you know, this, this old west town with uh, a bunch of tumbleweed and a few people walking around. Capernaum was a bustling hub of activity. Capernaum was a place where the nations, it was an intersection point of the nations and kingdoms of the world where they came to trade, where they came to learn, where they came to investigate things of, of religious and spiritual nature. Capernaum was an area where many, many significant battles were fought. Capernaum was an area where people um, walked around and engaged in all kinds of things. It was a, a thriving metropolis area. Some scholars believe up to three million people lived in that direct area of Capernaum. And so Jesus doesn't walk into ministry in some backwater, you know, podunk town somewhere. He walks into the hotbed of life and activity, the very place in his whole region where he would experience the most opposition to the message that he was carrying. And so Jesus arrives on the scene. And I love this. I just... I've just been picking up these subtle words. The news spread quickly that he was back home. Just so you know, too, in Mark's gospel, so Mark was not actually one of the 12 disciples, and most scholars believe that Mark wrote this gospel through firsthand conversations with Peter. And Mark's gospel is a little bit different than some of the other gospels in that Mark doesn't really get into a lot of minutiae detail about things. Mark is focusing on the action and authority of Jesus. So often you'll see words in Mark's gospel like immediately and soon after and quickly because Mark is actually focusing on turning our attention to how Jesus walked as the Son of Man in authority in his life. 
how he addressed the changing scenarios around himself, how he dealt with life and the pressures of life. This is a gospel that's concerned with how Jesus carried himself and how he walked and lived. This is also the first gospel, scholars believe, that was written. So the closest after Jesus actually walked on earth. And I find it interesting that that first gospel is not one of a theological discourse about how everything was to make sense systematically. That first gospel was an explanation of how God works and moves in our life in a practical and fundamentally engaging way. And so it says quickly, everybody gathered around the home where he was staying. It was so packed, I underline that, so packed with visitors. Okay, let's just stop here for a minute. If you just back up in the storyline a little bit, Jesus has just launched his ministry. He's just sort of done a tour of the whole region and he's coming back home. And he's coming back to his home base. He's intentionally not doing ministry out in the streets. There's already crowds of people following. He just wants a little peace and quiet, it seems like. He just wants things in his life to just, just let's get away from the noise for a minute. And the moment he comes home, there's so many people there that it says in other translations that not only was the door blocked, but people were standing outside as far as could be heard. They were standing outside wanting to get a glimpse of Jesus, wanting to hear some of his teaching. And so Jesus walks into this pressure scenario where his time is no longer his anymore What he wanted to do in teaching, he can no longer do because these guys have decided they're going to rip through the roof of the house and lower somebody right on top of his head. And so his plans, his intentions, his desires all get kiboshed. Everything goes upside down on Jesus. And yet he had this way of walking and carrying himself that was unlike anyone else in history or anyone else will ever be. And that he was so, he was so full of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit that the pressure externally was counteracted by the pressure internally. A few years ago, uh, well, it's a lot now, like 20, but um, I'm 40, which is, man, I have to just tell myself that periodically. Just, I have the most insignificant birthday of my life coming up in June, and that's 41. And uh, I don't know how I feel about it yet, but uh, when I was close to 20, I led a mission team uh, all along the coast of California for seven weeks or something like that. And one of the places we stopped was Monterey Bay near Carmel. And um, we actually stayed in the home of a scientist and he was an oceanographer and he actually was one of the lead scientists that was actually uh, charged with 
forwarding um, information development for Marianas Trench, which is one of the deepest trenches uh, in the ocean. And, and that trench is, is actually close to the coastline there. And so this lead scientist was in charge of the, the deep submersible subs and equipment that they would send down as far as they could to learn what they could about the ocean. And we were in his house one day and he pulled something off the shelf and it looked really funny. It looked like a tiny, tiny little styrofoam cup. And in fact, it was a tiny styrofoam cup. And he said, here, hold this. And, and I held it in my hand and it was as light as the cup, but it was rock hard dense. And he said, do you know what this is? And I, I said, I have no idea. He said, these are styrofoam cups that we attach to the outside of our submersible, submersible machine and, and the pressure and weight of the ocean collapses the molecules of the cup, uh, pushes out any air or nitrogen, anything like that, so that just the molecule is left. And this is what it looks like. And it was this rock-hard um, little thing. And he said, you know, do you know why our submarines can withstand the pressure? down there at the bottom of the ocean. I, and I said, no, I'm not sure. I, science was never my forte. And he said, it's because of the equilibrium of pressure. We have just as much pressure inside pushing out to resist the weight, literally the weight of thousands of feet of water down on these machines. And I've been thinking the last few weeks and wondering, God, how do I walk through seasons in my life where I feel like I might be crushed, where I feel like I might be overcome? How do I do that? And I feel like Jesus has been saying, you need equilibrium in your life. You need more of me inside. You need more of my presence and more of my spirit so that you can withstand greater pressure from the outside. And this is how Jesus walked. This was an environment where there were many expectations on him. There were many expectations on what he would do and what he would say. There were changes of plans and things got thrown all to whichever way. And Jesus had a choice. Am I going to live my life caving to the pressure that I experience around me? Or am I going to find a different way? Am I going to find a buoyancy to life that comes from what God is doing in me and what I hear my father say to me? We see that even in Jesus' life, the best laid plans went sideways. It's really interesting when the book of Mark opens, it talks about a few scenarios and the first one that Mark talks about is the baptism of Jesus. And we're doing baptisms in a few weeks. And one of the interesting things was Jesus really didn't need to be baptized. He was perfect. He didn't need to be baptized. But he chose to walk in submission to his Father's will and the heart of God. What's interesting, I just learned this a couple weeks ago, that 
Uh, and Brenda touched on this a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. The Jews had practiced ceremonial baptism for those that were Gentiles or from out, uh, outside of their, their national identity. They would baptize people in order to bring them into their Jewish family. So baptism wasn't a new concept. But what Jesus was saying and what the early Christians and church were saying when they got baptized is I need God in my life as much as those people that I've been told are far from him and unclean. Jews believe that they were and they are the children of God's promise. And baptism was only for people only for people on the outside. And in submission to the heart of God, Jesus goes through baptism and says, God, Father, I, even I, acknowledge my need for you. And he walked in surrender and submission to the heart of God. The second story that Mark covers is the temptation of Jesus. And this is a story where Jesus walks in submission to the voice of the Holy Spirit, leading him into the wilderness. Jesus comes out of those experiences and he launches his ministry. And the point that I want to make in this is that it's submission which leads to authority and power. It's actually submission to the voice of God. It's actually submission to the plans and the purposes of God in our life that builds equilibrium in us. And Jesus modeled this. And so his plan was to preach. These other guys had a different plan. And when, when it says that he was preaching the good news, we don't know exactly what he was saying. But Jesus was declaring, like he often did, scholars believe he was declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he said that, it wasn't a geographic region. He wasn't saying, you know, our, we're expanding our territory this way and we're growing this way. He was actually saying the rule and the reign and the authority of the kingdom of God is here now. It's here. And in the middle of his preaching, these men cut a hole in the roof and and depending on which translation you have, it, it may read it a bit different. But when you dig into the original Greek words, it literally actually means they forcefully cut open and tore open that roof. They tore open that roof. They forcefully removed any barrier and obstacle to God doing what they so desperately needed him to do in their life. In such a way that, that it says as they were lowering them, scholars believe that, that they lowered him down to Jesus, which is what the Bible says. And there was no plan B. There was no, well, if Jesus isn't having a good day, then I guess we'll lift him up. No, 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 no. No, we're doing this, God, and we have no backup here. 
We're fully reliant and dependent on you working and moving in our life. I'm willing to to rip down anything that would oppose or block your presence and your activity in my life. And I'm going to follow you and chase after you in such a way that I can't back out. I can't divert to plan B or C or D. There was no backup plan. Everything was riding on this. And so you have the faith of these guys. And then you have Jesus, whose whole plan gets interrupted. And he could either choose to allow God to work through him in that moment, or he could, you know, just brush them to the side. And and just imagine for a minute, I I don't know what you think, but sometimes I thought, oh, like, it wouldn't have really bothered him. But they cut a hole in the roof over his head. He's trying to talk. It'd be like somebody doing that right now. I'd be a little annoyed at the distraction. I'd be frustrated. And yet Jesus has this equilibrium from the presence of God in him that counteracts the force and the weight of the things that are throwing him off his objective. And so these men lower him down. I'm sure everybody, including the religious leaders that were there, were wondering what was gonna happen And as we read, Jesus' first response to them is probably not the one that they were looking for. Have you ever had that in your life where you've been praying and praying and praying about something, hoping and hoping and hoping for something, and then the thing that you feel is coming back from God has nothing to do with what you were asking him about. It doesn't help you in the least. And you walk away and you're like, no, 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 God, you're not hearing me right now, right? And we talk slower and we get louder and we get frustrated and annoyed. And this is the exact same scenario. These guys lower a paralyzed man down. Jesus looks at him and he said, your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine they're like, uh, I, you might be missing kind of the, the visual here. And like, you know, that hole in the mat, he can't walk. Uh, you know, just let's reevaluate this, God. Can we just circle this around again and uh, like take number two? But Jesus is just so amazing. I love this. And what he's basically saying is, look, I could heal you. You could get up and you could go on your way and walk right to that place you were already going, which was destruction and death and frustration and hell. Or I can deal with the thing that you need more than your healing first, which is your relationship and your rightness with me. What good is it, Jesus said in a different part of the Bible, for us to gain the whole world but lose our soul? Jesus begins by identifying the most important thing And on the surface, it looks like it's a huge miss. And on the surface in our life, it looks like God is missing all over the place and he's not getting the point and he's not answering our prayers and he's not moving on our behalf and he's not working, he's not working, he's not working. 
And yet I wonder if Jesus is saying, just stop for a minute. Because what I want to do in you today is actually the foundation for where I'm going to lead you tomorrow. What good is it to heal a man's legs, potentially even his arms, if he walks out of that place back into the same trap that he came in with? What good is it in your life and in my life for God to bless us and do these things in our life that he wants to do? What good is it if we continue to just walk on our way, pursuing our own interests and pursuing our own desires and pursuing the things that that gratify us and bring us a sense of accomplishment and validation and all of those things? What good is it to get those? if we lose our soul in the middle of it. And so Jesus is in this environment and the the, the temperature just gets getting turned up and turned up. And now he probably has, you know, a paralyzed guy who's frustrated and angry with him. His friends are upset with him that he didn't do for them what they wanted him to do. And they'd gone through all of this work. There's the religious leaders who are upset with him because he's violating everything they've studied and known to be true about God. And there's all these people crowded around. There's all these people inside the house and outside the house just trying to get close to him. And he's just sitting there doing absolutely the opposite of what everybody wants him to do. And yet there's this equilibrium, this counter pressure. Because he's listening and hearing the father and responding to God's directive in his life. There's this counter pressure that counteracts the weight of all of that. It's funny, in the last, in the last few, maybe two months, I've gotten a whole bunch of emails from some of you and talking about our parking lot being so full, and it is. And um, yeah, it's getting paved in a few weeks. I was going to do like a big fancy update, but why? It is getting paved in a few weeks, so, which is amazing. And there'll be more spots. Um, but it's not going to solve the whole issue, but it'll be a major step forward. And I've been getting emails about our parking lot and about going to two services and people coming in and feeling like there's nowhere to sit. And our kids' ministry literally has almost six times I don't, whatever that number would be, six times growth in the last year alone. And they're exploding at the seams and there's all this pressure. There's all this uh, expectation. There's, there's all of these things that everyone feels we need to do. And I've been, I've been walking in that and listening to that and appreciating that and going, God, what do we do? God, I'm being crushed by what's going on at work. I'm being crushed by what's happening in my family or what's happening at school with my friends. I'm being crushed. God, what do I do? And Jesus just brought me right to this story. And he said, look, if I can sit there in the middle 
of a banana's packed house. And not get worried and not get anxious for the people that are outside who want to be in but they can't be in. And not be intimidated by the expectations of everyone on me. If I can sit there and respond to changes of direction and changing plans and changing this and that, if I can do that and walk in peace, then you can too. And I feel like today I'm not the only one who feels like he's being crushed and demanded things of and doesn't know what to do necessarily or where to go or, or what strategies might be helpful or, or all of these things. And Jesus is saying, look, happened to me too. I was pulled in a hundred different directions. Had the weight literally of the sin of the world on me. But he was able to just walk forward. I heard a preacher the other day say it's almost prophetic that God made our bodies the way they are because it's not easy for us to walk backward. And we don't have eyes in the back of our head. And our hands really are meant to be forward. And I feel like Jesus is saying, there's a way forward. There's a way to walk in this life. But you've got to get that equilibrium right. The Pharisees challenge him. And Jesus declares himself, there's this phrase he uses, which is called son of man, and he used it often. I want to bring you exactly to the scene in the scenario Jesus is talking about. Like we've been saying for weeks, there's what happens physically and what happens spiritually, there's a direct correlation between the two. Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus said to the Pharisees that he was the Son of Man, this is what he was stating. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament. You can turn there. This is Daniel having a, a dream and a vision at night. It says, I watched as thrones, positions of authority, were put in place, and the Ancient One, that's a reference to God the Father, the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, like the purest wool, he sat on a fiery throne, with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. The court began its session and the books were opened. So Daniel has actually been brought into a courtroom scenario. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn, and that's reference to something a little bit earlier. We're not going to cover that. The little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had lost their authority. Underline or circle that word. They'd lost their authority, taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. Then get this. 
Verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, God the Father, and was led into his presence. Verse 14, this is the equilibrium builder in your life and in my life. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The reason that Jesus could walk in the full authority of God and carry himself with peace and gentleness and kindness in the midst of the weight of the world being put on him was because he knew and he understood the authority and the position and the legal standing he had before the Father. He understood that there was nothing that could happen to him. There's nothing that he would be able to experience. There's nothing in heaven and or on earth or under the earth or in any spiritual realm that could take the authority that the Father had given him away from him. And that was his buoyancy and equilibrium. In the face of all of this pressure, he understood whose he was, what his job was, what he was called to do, and how he could do it. He understood that his authority, his authority in the Spirit, as the righteous one, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, his authority gave him the ability to walk in peace and power and righteousness and justice and holiness. And the best part is that because of what he did on the cross, because of the blood that he shed on the cross, he said, you, little old Andrew, You can walk with that same authority and victory and power. But the way you walk is not the way you think you walk. Authority comes from submission and dependence on God. It comes from yielding to his plans and his purposes. You know what's interesting? I'm going to get the worship team to come back up. Do you know why whales and... Specifically, sperm whales can dive so deep. It's been recorded that, that these sperm whales can hunt giant squid at a depth of around 7,000 feet down in the ocean. Do you know how they can do that? Their bodies and their bones and their lungs are pliable and flexible. The internal organs of these whales they, they flex and they morph and they change under the weight of the ocean around them. And it's such a beautiful picture of what God is inviting us to do. Not to be rigid, not to have our plans and then just 
come hell or high water, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, God. Even if, even if I don't sense you in this anymore, I'm going to make my decision. I'm going to make my plans. I'm going to live my life the way I want. I'm going to carry myself however I want. I'm going to, I'm going to be the ruler of my own empire. I'm going to be the captain of my own ship. That's nonsense. The Bible says if you want strength, if you want equilibrium, you bow and you bend. You flex under the weight of God. You submit to his plan and his path for you. You ask him every day, God, what do you want me to do? And even if your day goes to hell in a handbasket, you say, God, I want to hear from you. I need to know where you're leading me and what I should do. The Bible never ever says that we should live for tomorrow. In fact, it says the opposite. It says, don't make plans for tomorrow because you don't know what the day is going to bring. And even in Jesus's ministry, he, he modeled and exemplified this principle. He dealt with life as it came. It says when he's called his disciples, it says one day he was walking on the beach. One day. That was the day where God said, start calling the people that are going to build my church. It wasn't a, a five-point strategic plan and a six-year vision for his life. It was the one day because that one day he heard God say, do this. And yet I've spent so much of my life trying to figure out the big picture trying to say, God, where am I going next year? What am I doing next year? What am I going to be like in five years? What's my financial output outlook going to be like? What's my work life going to be like? And we exchange the hypothetical down the road stuff for the daily submission and dependence on God. And if you're here and you feel like you're being crushed under the weight of the expectation on your life or the things that are going sideways in your family or your work life or whatever that environment is, can I just challenge you? You don't need to know about tomorrow. And you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be crushed under the stress and anxiety of what if, what could scenarios. Did you know that Jesus wants to speak to you and lead you today? I heard a theologian express it this way. Often when we ask God for wisdom, God, what do I do? What we want is his perspective. We want to be looking at the map down at the table and see exactly where everything is. And if you sit, you know, at the Pearson airport for a, a while, you'll watch the flow of planes as they come in on the different runway. And you'll get a sense for a bit of the rhythm of that, but you don't know what's happening as they're in holding patterns at different elevations as the air traffic controllers are figuring out how to arrange hundreds and hundreds of aircraft at one time. I feel like God is saying, look, that, you're trying to get into the air, traf air traffic controller room. 
but that's where I live. What he's saying is just get behind the wheel, start driving and ask me where to turn today. And when there's a stop sign, we stop. And when it's a left turn, we turn left. And when there's an accident, we veer around it. But some of you have been living under the weight of this expectation that you have to figure it all out. And even Jesus didn't live that way. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. I'm gonna close with this. Because this battlefield takes place in our minds actually. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse three, it says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. The battlefield you're in is here. And it's a battle for you to trust and know that God's heart for you, that God's purposes and his plans for you are to actually have you thrive and come alive and find a new and different kind of life you've never experienced. His heart for you is not to live in anxiety and fear and under the crushing weight of expectation and changing plans and a life that's gone nowhere that you thought it would go. But it's our own reason and logic that gets in the way. And so the worship team is gonna play a song as we close and I'm gonna invite the prayer team. We wanna give you an opportunity today. If you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for uh, what you're going through internally in your mind, the battle for your mind, if you need prayer for your family or finances, anything at all, when the worship team starts to play, come to the front and we'd love to pray with you. I really believe that today Jesus wants to to recalibrate that equilibrium so that you can walk in peace and hope and joy and the goodness of God. That you can respond to his call on your life today, not tomorrow. And so if you need prayer for anything this morning, I invite you to come once the worship team starts. Jesus, we surrender to you. And God, we, we get it wrong so often. And God, we, we live our lives in, in anxious responsiveness to what's happening around us. But Jesus, you didn't live a responsive life. You lived a life of victory and declaration and sure truth. God, you understood, Jesus, the weight and the pressure we feel but you modeled a different way to walk through it. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. 
Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.